there, everyone. Welcome to Jess's Writing Clubhouse, the place where you can get updates on all my writing process and my thoughts on other things inside the publishing world. So today I wanted to first start off with a kind of an update on what's going on with my project. Right now it is April 26th and The Slayer and the Spy is finished and it is due for publication on May 1st. Now that won't be when this podcast actually goes up, but I I wanted to batch film a few of the beginning episodes just so I could put them out slowly. So more than likely, The Slayer and the Spy will already be out by the time that this is actually posted onto the podcast sites. But I'm very happy to be done with Slayer and the Spy. This book took way longer than it should have, but due to things that were kind of out of my control, not a whole lot I could do about it to fix it. So now it's like the next course of action. I've been doing a lot of marketing for it, and it's been doing pretty well. So we'll have to see what happens release day. As far as next projects, I'm still in the middle of The Gamer and the Hacker, which is book three of my Hunter X Slayer series. And this one I have kind of just put by the wayside for at least April because April was all about getting the Slayer and the Spy ready and getting it finished so that I could get it off my docket. Now, I'll actually have time to work on it. However, comma, <laughs> um, I will be traveling come mi early mid-May, so I'm going to try to use some of that time to draft up the Gamer and the Hacker. Fun times for everyone. I am also hard at work at world building my Faye serial. I currently have the characters listed. I am working on the world building of where they live right now, so I'm hoping that that kind of helps me springboard into working on it more. I'm really hoping that it actually comes out the way I want to. I am still debating between having it be strictly on Patreon or if I want to do Patreon and Kindle Vela. I've heard heard a lot of good things about Kindle Vela, but I've also heard some very kind of sketchy things, and I don't know which one to really go with at this point. I'm thinking of reaching out to someone who's been doing Vela and talking with them about what their experience has been, whether or not they do Patreon and Vela, and that also ties into the novellas that I have coming for in between each of the Hunter x Slayer books. Now, I've already started re-outlining novellas Novella 1, which is 1.5, comes in between The Hunter and the Cultist and The Slayer and the Spy, and I've got it outlined, I have it, I have the note cards written out for it, so now I just have to draft it out. I've already drafted out this story once, but because I hadn't finished book 2, it didn't match up with what actually happens in book 2. So it's like, okay, well obviously I can't do a novella until the books that are surrounding this novella are actually done. So fun times. But currently those are the big projects that I'm working on. I haven't really worked on any of the other series recently because these are the ones that are primarily taking up my focus, so we'll find out what happens. I have also been looking into, as a personal note, I'm looking into diagnosis for ADHD and autism to see if I can get on some kind of help, because the biggest problem that I had when I was working on Slayer and the Spy is that I was so depressed and so anxious with everything that was going on in my personal life that I didn't want to work on anything. <laughs> and that's not good when you're self-employed because you legitimately could. However, comma, it, it causes a lot of problems and it backs things up. So I'm hoping that I can get those kind of out of the way and get a better work balance and just feel 
all better overall. So now that the update has kind of been finished, I'm going to move into the main discussion for this episode. Today I'm basically going to be talking about taking in media as an author from various sources and also how I outline books and character profiles to basically start how I actually start Books. I'm also going to be talking about the character profiles that I do for each of my characters when I first start kind of building them. This way you can get an idea of how my stories are built from the ground up. So the first part I'm going to talk about is the taking media in as an author. I will say that since I started looking into Storycraft, which I'll talk about a little bit later, a lot of pieces of media have been not ruined, but I see the blue print that they're working with and I can kind of guess what's going to happen based off of what I'm seeing and that that's really cool in my opinion I find that really cool that I can kind of guess what's happening and where the story might take it but one of the things that I enjoy is watching movies Uh, I do movies tv shows video games books but movies to start with I really enjoy a really good romance most of the movies I watch I want there to be some romance or or it has to have a really good story around it. And one of the ones I just recently watched for the first time was a movie called Strange Magic. This was a movie that came out and it kind of flew under the radar. I do remember seeing advertisements for it, but I don't remember like ever seeing it in theaters. And it's a fairy movie. I do watch it when I'm trying to get inspiration from my fave serial. And it's a love story, but it's a love story in a kind of predictable way. But it's really like how do I put this it's a believable romance and that's one thing that I really don't like in some romantic movies is that the romance is not believable and you can't understand why person a and person b are somehow getting together it doesn't make sense but with strange magic it actually works really well um I highly recommend watching it it is a little cringe because it's a jukebox musical but if you are interested is it is on disney plus and I highly recommend it because I believe Evan Rachel Wood plays the female fairy love interest and Alan Cummings plays the male love interest. It is a really good movie and I highly recommend it. Just remember it it is a product of its time with jukebox musicals. The animation is really pretty though. It's very smooth and it's just very stunning to look at. (laughs) But I also watched a movie called Just Right with Queen Latifah and Common. And that one is definitely one that has a storyline where the two romantic interests actually have chemistry. And that's the one thing that I've started noticing in a lot of romance movies where romantic subplot or movies with a romantic subplot have trouble because like the one that I can think of off the top of my head is in Captain America Winter Soldier when (laughs) Steve Rogers has that or is it Winter Soldier or is it Civil War? I think it's Civil War when he has the kiss with Agent Carter's granddaughter. And I'm like, why? I, I don't understand this. Why are you two kissing? That makes no sense. Because it's like, yeah, she helped him, but where's the romantic tension? Where Where is that? 
I felt like even though it came out of left field, the romantic attraction between uh, Natasha Romanoff and Bruce Banner made more sense, even though I still don't entirely love that because of like how it was handled. I can understand where that might have come from. However, comma, again, the way it was handled was not kosher. And the one thing that I've also noticed with knowing Storycraft is knowing where, as I said before, where the plot is going to go. So I can be watching a movie and I get about halfway through and something that has appeared like within the first act, I know is going to be coming later. If they're a good writer, they will use these little things to basically surprise you at the end where it's actually important. And the one thing that I noticed pretty early on when it came to that kind of thing happening is in the new movie Turning Red. Too Long didn't read. This movie is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal movie. And it's a movie literally about a teenage girl who is going through changes in her life and figuring out what kind of person she wants to start to be. And the one thing that kind of stood out was they mentioned in this movie how hard it is to basically do like get rid of the panda which is what happens with the main character may i don't want to give away too much but basically may who is the main character maylin um she is forcibly transformed into a red panda and they can do this whole thing to get rid of it however comma they mention multiple times that the more she transforms into it the harder it'll be. And I knew that that kind of thing was coming up later where we would see how hard it is if she does use it a lot. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, there's going to be more to this. There has to be more to this. And sure as shit, there was. And I absolutely adored Turning Red. And I was so happy that it, it gave me so many nostalgic feelings because I was 12 during like the time frame that the movie sits in 2002. So a lot of the things that Valen is going through are the same things I was going through at that age. So it was very relatable. This kind of leads me into what I see when I do t when I watch TV shows. Now versus movies where it's a much shorter span of time, TV shows also have their own arcs. They also have fillers that will help with character development. And that's majoritably what fillers are, filler episodes are for, is for character development. If the episode does not further the plot, it's going to further the characters. And that is something that I noticed a lot with some of the TV shows that I watch, such as like the show Leverage. I love the original Leverage and I love Leverage Redemption, which is now on IMDb TV. And they do this. They'll have episodes that deal with the overall plot of that season. However, they will also have episodes that really delve into the characters' issues or something that's going on with the characters themselves. And I really enjoy seeing those filler episodes probably a little bit more than the main plot because most of the time the main plot is like this big overarching thing that gets really heavy, especially with leverage with a couple of the seasons. And I enjoy seeing the character building that it does. Video games are also one of those things that tend to get a lot of story structure because I'm a 
majoritably like video games that actually have a story mode to it and a narrative that I can really follow, which is why most games where it's like, it's just, you play the game like Call of Duty. Most of the time, Call of Duty doesn't have a very good storyline. It's mostly played for zombies or I think it's called Extinction, but it's not played for the story. It's played for the gunplay and no shade on them. I, if that's what you like to play, you have more power to you. For me, I need a, I need a game that has a really good story behind it. I need something that I can grip onto and it keeps me playing. I think I mentioned in a previous episode that the two games that really gripped me hard were the Mass Effect trilogy and Cyberpunk 2077. Now, both of these games gripped me in a bad way, so I'm not going to go into it because that's a very lengthy rant and I more than likely have already mentioned this. However, comma, there are games that held my interest in more positive ways. The one that screams to mind is the game Persona 5. Now, Persona 5 came out several years ago and it is a JRPG slice of life slash turn-based combat game. Now, basically half of the game is you are a student in a, I think, what'd it be called high school? It's like upperclassmen in Japan. Basically you're in your last couple of years of school and you are basically put into a town that is not your hometown because of some legal stuff that happened and your parents basically sent you to live with a rando stranger, which I always thought was weird, but that's beyond the point. Now, half of the game is you just going about your life, going to school, taking tests, answering questions, and hanging out with friends, finding a girlfriend, because uh, unfortunately you can't find a boyfriend, which that is one tick against it. But the other half of the game is you going into the distorted hearts of very bad people, people who have twisted the world in their own mind to suit what they believe to be right. And your job is to basically find the treasure that encompasses their distortion and steal it. And when I first tried this game, it it's from a company called Atlas. And Atlas is known for their JRPG games. And these games, I was told that people is like, if you're gonna play this, you're gonna sink multiple hours in here. Like minimum five hours just to get through to where you can do anything on your own. I'm like, that's a commitment. <laughs> but I played a little bit of the copy my friend had and I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Maybe I'll pick it up. So I picked it up. 250 hours later, two and a half playthroughs. I went through the game twice and I was on a third time before I lost my data. <laughs> Suffice it to say, I was absolutely hooked. The story was gripping. I was on the edge of my seat. When I finished it the first time, I was literally standing in front of my TV, just holding the controller as shit was going down. And I messaged the friend who had first let me try it. I'm like, oh my God, what have you given me? Mind you, I was actually farther than they were. So they had no idea what I was like talking about. And it was, oh, every day I was playing this game. I literally wake up, do a little bit of work, and then spend the rest of the day playing Persona 5. I was absolutely obsessed 
best. And I was so obsessed that it actually spawned the original concept for the Reaper series. That that should tell you how much this game affected me. And oh, this game, it it just its story was so gripping. The characters were fantastic. And I highly recommend anyone who loves like long form stories who is willing to put in the hours to do like 75 hours worth of gameplay. I highly recommend it because it is an absolute joy to go through this game. Yeah, there are parts where it's like kind of boring because again, slice of life, but oh, it's so much fun to go through the storyline. The storyline is gripping, absolutely gripping. And that's where video games have a lot of agency where because you are controlling what this person does, you feel like you're more in it versus a movie or a TV show where you're just viewing it. And this one, you are actually like taking part in it. You are participating in what's going on. And there's something very visceral about it. And that's primarily why I like really strong story-based games. Then we move into books. Books, I've been an avid reader since probably about middle school. I did try to read a little bit when I was younger, but I never could really get into it. It wasn't until I finished, I think it was Prisoner of Azkaban for Harry Potter, and I listened to that on audiobook, which probably should have told me something. But I then read the entire series, and then I started reading adult romance, because my mom had a whole bunch of that. And that's kind of just where my interest lie, lay, lied, I don't know. That's where my interest was, was adult romance. And I kind of haven't looked back since then. I've dabbled a little bit into graphic novels. I've dabbled into what are called cozy mysteries, usually like uh, amateur detective. And then I moved into LGBT romance and that's kind of where I found my little niche. So all of these have wonderful stories that can be told and you can take all these different mediums that I've taken inspiration from have helped kind of shape the writer that I am and I wouldn't change it for anything because anytime I take in a piece of media a little piece of it stays with me and because I like to kind of mold things as I want yeah that pieces coming from another uh, source but much like Play-Doh I take that idea that raw idea and I mold it into what I want it to be so yeah Gustav is based loosely off of Alucard from Helsing but short of the physical characteristics there's nothing that really denounce the connection between the two of them and I really enjoy molding things to how I want them or how they're supposed to be in my head so leaning into characters and how I build up my worlds leads me into outlining and character profiles Specifically, I'm going to start with the outline. When I want to start a new book, nine times out of ten, when I'm starting something brand new, I will usually take the characters that I've already decided are going to be like the leads. And then I will look at each character and figure out, hey, what is their problem? Or what is it that they want to solve in this one? Sometimes the solving comes in beforehand. Sometimes just some funny scenes. Usually I also think of, I try to think of 
some funny scenes for the two of them to go through because I'll find something humorous that is like, okay, you have an aristocrat with someone who is like lowbrow and it's like, okay, what can I put in there that's going to make one of these characters highly uncomfortable that's going to be funny? And usually I'll write that down. I'll write like some generic shit or if I've thought of something from a movie, it's like, okay, well, put it like this from this movie. I want this kind of scene that's very similar. So I'll just write that down like in a notebook or I currently have a plotting notebook for all my Hunter x Slayer couples and I'll just write that down. I'll just keep writing down ideas that come to me. Sometimes plot lines will come to me or if a character starts talking, I'll write down what they say and like what they're story is and I'll slowly build up the information there. Now if I have a couple of ideas but I need more because it's like the next book I will actually sit down and I will start to really delve deep into the character. It's like okay I need their problem. I need how they're going to solve that problem in the wrong way or what they think is going to fix that problem and then what is actually going to fix their problem. And if I separate the three of those things it makes it so much easier for me to actually figure figure out the characters themselves because it's like okay what is the wound that is causing their problem so once I figure out their wound what do they think is going to fix it and what do they not want to recognize is going to fix it so once I get all those down then I'll start to kind of build in things in between there to help kind of like have backstory have information and things that need to be shown throughout the novel and I'll just keep making a list of all these things there's no rhyme or reason to how I structure it it's just like idea 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 down all the way down until I have enough ideas that it's like okay I feel comfortable enough that I could start to kind of outline it so then that's when I move into the save the cat method for planning and if you've never heard of save the cat there are two versions of it there is the original one which is save the cat right uh the last, I think it's called uh, The Last Book on Screenwriting You'll Ever Need, which was originally written for screenwriting. But then we have Save the Cat Writes a Novel, which is taking the same process from the original script screenwriting version of Save the Cat and moving it into novel writing. And this book has been absolutely revolutionary for me because it has helped me to craft stories that I otherwise would not have been able to actually craft and build on. With The Hunter and the Cultist, I had already kind of the main plot and the main story beats already figured out. But then when I started The Slayer and the Spy, I had none of that because the original plot that I had for it did not work. So I was like, okay, now I got to build this thing from the ground up. So Save the Cat has definitely helped me with building from nothing. And the same thing goes with The Gamer and the Hacker. That one also changed absolutely completely. So it helped me compartmentalize each beat in the story. And eventually I'll do an entire episode just on Save the Cat and how it's helped me and break down all of the beats. But suffice it to say, if you are interested in this, it is available, I believe, on the libraries app on Libby. I know there's an audiobook that's actually read by the author, Jessica Brody, and it is phenomenal. If you are someone who needs structure when they write, I highly recommend it. Even if you don't like need structure, if you're more of someone who pants your, your books, I still recommend at least giving this a shot because you don't have to 
outline it based off of what is said in here, but it might give you some idea of where you could go. Just a thought. So basically from Save the Cat, I take what I call the beat sheet tree and I basically break down character A and character B and I break down their entire story from when we first see them at the beginning of the book, when they hit their catalyst moment of like their world turning upside down then to the midpoint where things are flipped once again, and then to my favorite beat, the all is lost, where their world crumbles around them and they were low, then they're lower than when they were at the catalyst. And then finally at the final image, when they are where they need to be, having learned their lesson and being happy, or at least happier than they were in the beginning. So I basically do this twice. I do this for character A and character B. B. And then what I do is I take those two character sheets, the beat sheets, and I slowly start to weave them together into a narrative that makes sense. Basically, I will take each beat and it's like, okay, would this fit chronologically within a story that I'm trying to tell? And there'll be sometimes when it's like, we'll have a string of character A getting a couple of chapters or character development. And then there'll be a string of character B getting some character development or they'll go back and forth between the two of them. And I'm just slowly weaving in their story together. Like with the case of the Slayer of the Spy, there was a third element I had to also introduce, which was the actual crime element that goes along with it. So I had to also weave in that one. That one actually came after I had put together the main story and then I added in the where the clues were about the villain and all that and ultimately it came out really well and basically it's creating a timeline of events and this way I have a detailed idea of where my story beats are coming from who's supposed to be narrating or at least who should be narrating this or what beats of the story are coming and I will just make sure that everything in each character story is being hit upon. Now, this is where I get a little anal retentive. From that beat sheet tree, I will then start doing what I call scene cards. And what I do is I take a whole bunch of little post-it note note cards, like the wide ones, and I will start scene one. Start with the first beat. Usually it's whatever character I've dubbed the main one, the one that's going to change the most throughout the story. And I will write down, okay, this and this, this happened. And then I will look at the next beat that's supposed to happen. It's like, okay, in the chronological of this scene, is this what comes next? Or do I need a bridge gap to get to that next scene? I basically use the beat sheet as a map. Like I'm on a road trip and it's like, okay, I need to get from Los Angeles to Orlando. And it's like, okay, I have all these stops at gas stations and food places. Where am I going to stop? And that's what the beat sheet is. Those are those stops. And then what I do is I am marking out all the things that lead up to each of those stops. And that's how I build my scene cards. My scene cards basically tell me, okay, I have this many scenes and I can roughly guess how many chapters I'm gonna end up with because I always put three scenes per chapter. 
until you get to the end, then it's like maybe two scenes in one chapter, but that's usually the last one. And that's basically how I get ready to start doing my first draft. Now, I do kind of like Neil Gaiman's way of writing, which is headlights writing. Basically, I can only see as far as my headlights can take me. So I will always have just the first, the next scene card in front of me. I have an idea of where I need to go, but the scene card is what I can see directly in front of me. And this is what I build from. So that's ultimately how I end up outlining and starting up the first draft. Usually the first draft is very anemic. It is strictly telling myself the story. And I can tell you right now that the order of the scene cards doesn't always match up. Sometimes I will recognize that I'm moving ahead with the plot and there's still some things that need to be added. So I'll hold off on using those until I actually can use up that plot. And it's, it's a moving target. It's just a constantly moving target. So the one thing that the first draft really does for me is help me to solidify the characters because all of this outlining, all of this beat sheeting and all of this scene cards could be absolutely derailed if my character has not been like fully fleshed out because of not me not understanding what it is that they are needing. So that's why I try to circumvent that by doing Doing character profiles. And what I mean by that is I figure out all the basic information about them, such as their age, what they are, are they human, are they mortal, are they werewolf, and then like their age, their height, their weight, their clothing style, the way they carry themselves. What is their background? And what, I, this is where I start to get into like what their problem is. I don't delve too deeply. I, I go surface level. Basically just getting an idea of who this person is. And what really helps is I will go to Google and I will just look for a character ref, a reference, and just looking for something that gives me that vibe of the character. And I will have that as the character reference. Most of the time, if I'm working on that book and I turn to my cover artist, May, and it's like, hey, can you find someone who looks like this? Because I know you can't use Google images for your stock photos unless you pay for your stock photos. So I basically give... Uh, my cover artist is like, okay, this is what I'm thinking about. Can you find something in this realm? And so far, she has been phenomenal with that. So, but basically, this is where I kind of figure out some things about the character. And it's what allows me to jump off into that outlining portion where I can then build their actual story. And I've tried a couple of different character profile builders. And it's just like a whole bunch of lists of things that don't do anything for me. It's like, okay, I need basics, age, eye color, hair color. Like sometimes you can give me economic status. The one that really trips me up is the ages because obviously vampires and werewolves, they can live for a long time. And I severely need to get a timeline going because I've already struggled with figuring out when times were. <laughs> So that's something I need to definitely start working on. But now that I've talked your ear off for this whole time, and I really do appreciate all of you listening here and listening to me ramble about outlining because it, up until I actually started doing professional writing, I thought I was a hardcore pantser. I just kind of fly by the seat of my pants no outlining, it didn't make any sense to me, but then when I actually got into Save the Cat, oh my god, it made so much more sense. 
<laughs> so I highly recommend for people who think it's like, oh, outlining is too hard, it's too stringent, it doesn't let me be creative. I highly recommend at least giving Save the Cat a try or at least reading about it. Even if you never like use the beats for your own thing, at least looking at what other people do, like other outliners use, is always a good thing because as a writer, you're always learning. And you never stop learning. There's always something else that you could be looking into. So I thank you all for listening to me ramble on. This has been fun. <laughs> um, I hope you all enjoy this podcast and I will hear from you all when you listen to this and I'll speak to you later. Bye-bye.